Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus pretty much laid out our directive. This is why we exist as a church, to go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And God has given each and every one of us venues, avenues, a way to do that just in our everyday life. Whether, no matter where you work, no matter where you are, you can begin the process of discipleship making because we're to go and share the gospel. Straight up, this is what we're called to do. We're to invite people to a Jesus community where they can begin to be discipled in a deeper sense into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're to go, make disciples, teach, and baptize. And then last week, we talked a little bit about community and who we are as a community. Now, there's lots of scripture in the Bible about how we're supposed to treat each other and about this gathered group of saints. But what I really wanted to focus on, and I want to make sure that you understood that every Christian, when you belong to the church, this group of gathered Christians, you bring something to the table. You are important in the community. The tension with that is, will you allow yourself to belong to that community? Will you allow God to use you in that community? Will you allow God to mature the giftings, and listen to me, all of us have been gifted in some way, shape, or form by the generosity of God himself to be used in the context of community. Everyone is valuable. Everyone is given gifts, and everyone should belong and use those gifts. And we treat each other that way, that Jesus has died on the cross for each and every person. And though he loves me best, he loves you all in second place. I guarantee it. It's not funny. My mommy told me I was special. And so this week, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna finish this up. So if we can get the lights, you're going to have to crank the volume on this, Ray, because um, it's just low volume. So check this out. Best commercials ever. I have that last one on my phone. I just watch it over and over again. <laughs> when I was like about, in, I think in eighth grade, um, I wanted to purchase something and my father would not buy it for me. He told me that I had to do something to earn the money. Pfft, fathers. And so um, I went out and, and, you know, there weren't a lot of options back then. So I went out and I decided that I was going to cut and split a cord of firewood and sell it to my uncle, which I did for 25 bucks. Because what I needed to earn, yeah, that's slave labor right there. But, but what I needed to earn was $25 because I wanted to buy a tarantula. And, and my, my, my parents thought that possibly by making it as difficult as possible that this whole thing about wanting a tarantula would go away. But I cut a split a quarter wood, piled it up. My uncle came over. He flipped me to 25 bucks. And um, I remember going down to the store and walking, you know, to the tank of, you know, all the lizards. And there was that big tarantula. And I, the, she was a young girl. And I said, I want the tarantula. And she went, <sighs> took her a long time to get it in the box, but, but I took it home. And uh, my dad made me work for the money 
so I can buy this tarantula. <laughs> I came home from school one day. And now, my mother was dead set against the whole tarantula thing. I don't know why. But I came from school one day. I flopped my books on the bed. And I looked in the tank. And I named him Moses because he was supposed to live like forever. But he didn't. He, you got to feed him like all the time. Who knew? But, but anyway, so, so I look in the tank and Moses is gone. Now, at the tender age of 12 or 13, I knew that a tarantula on the loose in the house is probably not the best thing to tell your mom when she gets home. And so I start to look in my room for my, my spider, which would fill the palm of your hand. He, he was a pretty good size. They're not poisonous. It's the pet tarantulas. And uh, you, have to, you have to search your room very gently when you're looking for a big spider because you don't want to squish it because that would be a mess. And it was about a half hour in, and I just, I can't find the spider. And I knew that this wasn't going to end well when my mom came home. Then for whatever reason, I put my shades up in my bedroom, and there he was on the glass, warming himself, and so I scooped him off. But anyway, um, it's just a little side story. It's kind of funny. He got out a few more times, but... The point being, my father would not give me the money. He made me earn the money. And then he gave me this little lesson after. He said, you know, the next time that you do a job, you always want to make a little bit more than what you need because you want to pay yourself. And he said, he said well, how you do that is, so you, you needed $25. You should have charged Uncle Danny 30 And you take $5 and you pay yourself. You save that money. And then when you save that money and you get enough of that money, you invest it in something, some type of mutual fund or bond or whatever, and your money works for you. You put this investment and your money makes more money. Now, I wish I would have listened to him back then, and you know, that's just ugh, but you hear all the time on TV, if you watch TV, all about investing it's all the thing, you know, I'm going to vote and buy gold from Rosalind Capital. And, and it's so it's all this, the E-Trade commercials were this whole campaign to get people to invest their money. There are people whose their sole job is to take your money and invest it to make more money on your money. My dad, when he was, when he was healthy, he was a financial planner, and he, uh, he was very successful at it. He just had this knack of taking people's investments and investing them in the market and all these diversified things, and he would make money. The whole idea is to take your money, invest it, and make more. Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 19 about investing money and making more but the parables these stories that jesus tells in the bible they go much deeper than just on the surface of what the story is is being shared and so there's always there's always a lesson to be learned there's always kingdom values attributed to the stories there's always jesus kind of teaches us about god himself and the kingdom through these parables these stories and so we're going to read one this morning. I think I'm going to put it up there, but I'm just going to read it from my Bible. It's out of Luke 19. It says this, beginning in chapter, um, verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. 
So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he gave the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very little matter, very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it and laid away, laid, I kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take this mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Parable, story, deeper kingdom meanings. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's getting towards the end of his story here on earth. He's going through Jericho and he sees this little man, Zacchaeus. He was a wee man. Zacchaeus is in a tree because he's wee. And he can't see Jesus. Now, repentance and salvation come to Zacchaeus because Jesus pretty much invites himself over to his house for dinner. So, Zac, come on down the tree. You're cooking me dinner. And there's such a change in this man that, and he's a tax collector, there's such a change in him that he says, you know, I'm going to pay back everything that I've wrongfully taken from people times four. And on top of that, I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor. And so Zach meets with Jesus. He meets the grace of God in his home. Things change and there's this massive transformation in this guy. The, the, the crowds, the people would have just been blown away that a tax collector would give back what he's already stolen times four and then give to the poor. And as the crowds are kind of standing around, the people are standing around, Jesus sees a teaching moment and he tells this parable. Now you have to understand the bigger setting of what's going on. They're following him to Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem's about 17 miles away. They are on their way with him because they really believe that this is it. The, the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus is going to restore Israel, and he's going to make everything better. Finally, that place of prominence that they've been promised from the Old Testament prophets will come to fruition. 
It's, it's a big deal. It, there's there's this, this vibe that's running under the, under the current of all that's taking place. And I can imagine that maybe they're even thinking of the words of Zechariah. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. And on that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it to the west, to the Mediterranean Sea. In summer and in winter, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. This is what they're waiting for. This is the expectation that they feel. I mean, it's bigger expectation than the possibility of the giants winning today. I mean, they're just on the edge of their seats. And Jesus, we know that things are going to be a little bit different. And what's expected is not what they're going to get. And so Jesus tells this story, this parable, And it's symbolic of his own life. It's symbolic of the incarnation, the idea that God has come from heaven, has become a a person, a man, to live among us. It's symbolic of, of how he is going to pour into his apostles and disciples and those that would follow him. It's symbolic of those who want to kill him, his enemies, who don't want to see him king. See, In this parable, Jesus is speaking about his kingship, his kingdom, and those who will be part of it. And so I'd like to kind of just break it down a little bit for us. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. So the nobleman gets his servants, says, I'm going to give you some money. Now, one mina, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, and I really don't care. One mina is worth about three months' salary. So this isn't chump change. This is a lot of money. And he gives them this, this money, and he tells them, make me some more money. Put this money to work for me. Each servant gets the same amount and is told the same thing. This is very different than the parable with the, with the talents where it's, it's 10 and 5 and 1. See, this isn't, this, this isn't reflective of their ability. This is reflective that they are a servant. They each get one and they're told the same thing. Put it to work. Now, again, we have to look at this uh, much deeper than just what... The, the basic story is about because this has kingdom value to it. This is Jesus revealing the truths of the kingdom to those who have ears and let them hear. He's speaking about a deposit that's given to every single Christian. That we have all been given the same thing. Each and every one of us have been given the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In full. And each of us have been given the gifts of the gospel. Now Paul in his letters, you can constantly find him referring to this idea that we've been entrusted with the gospel. Thessalonians, he says, we speak as one who has been entrusted 
with the gospel. He tells Timothy in the first letter um, that, that he's to guard what he's been entrusted with, the gospel, the message, the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Each and every believer, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are given the same exact investment and you are given the same exact command. Put this to work for me. You're given the power, the authority of the Holy Spirit, and you are given the gospel message. Jesus says, here you go. Now, do some business for me. Get a return on my investment. Invest the gospel and increase the yield of the good news. Now, after Jesus gives this investment, we see that his enemies or the, the noblemen, you see the enemies, they, they don't want him to be king. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. And that's always the case when, when it comes to Jesus. There's always going to be people who do not want him, who will not accept him as Lord, as Savior, as King. There are people that will reject God's grace by rejecting Jesus and say, nope, I don't need him. Think of the story of his life. He's beaten, beaten. He's brought in front of the people. Here is your king. He's presented. And what do the people yell? Crucify him. The, the sign that's nailed over the cross, uh, over his head, says king of the Jews. And, they, and the religious leaders go, oh, no, 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 no. He claimed to be king of the Jews. Take that sign down. There's always this pushback. Against Jesus. There always has been and there always will be. Darkness hates the light. But we see in this parable the king was made king and he returns. Jesus died on that cross and the world thought they won it won. Jesus returns as king and he will return again. Look what Paul writes in Philippians. Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No matter what the world threw at him and continues to throw at him, Jesus will always be king. He will always be Lord. And so the story goes on. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. Then the second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, Take charge of five cities. So the story goes on. Jesus is laying on thicker and heavier as he gets to it. Upon the return of the king, he's going to settle accounts. And so it will be with Jesus. Upon his return, Jesus will settle accounts. The first servant gets called in to stand before the king. Maybe we could say he's come before the judgment seat. 2 Corinthians 5 Paul writes that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. Remember that word in the Greek for all? means all. 
all of us will stand before the judgment seat. So the first servant comes in, he does pretty good. He gets like a thousand percent return on the investment. And the second one comes in, he does equally as well. He gets like a 500% return. This is pretty good. They've taken the, the money and they've invested it and they've gotten a return on the money. Now, I'm not, I'm not willing to die on this hill or, or fall on the sword with this, but I, I see, because in the, in the context of the entire parable, I see that there's humility in these first two servants. Because look, look what they say. They say, sir, verse 18, sir, your mina has earned five more. They didn't say, look what I did. I went out, worked it, and I made you more money than what you've given me. They, they said that your investment actually made the money. See, the gospel is the gospel, and the gospel will always bring fruits. It's the investments when invested that earns the return. And look what, what they get. Like, he says, oh, you, you made a lot of money. That, that's really good. Now you get 10 cities. And the other guy, you, you, you get some cities too. You've done well. Now the servants rule with the king. Those who were once servants now rule with the king. They are now rulers. They get more than the, what's, what, the, the money that they made. This is the invitation of Jesus to his followers. Come rule with me. In first, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 12, it says, If we endure, we will reign with him, with Jesus. To endure, to continue to press in, push on beyond the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We can rule, we can reign with Jesus. It's not only the invitation, it's his promise. He says, I have invested in you, each and every one of you. And you know why? Because you're worth it. Because you're worth it, Jesus has given us the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel message to go out and then make more. He tells us, get to work. Take what I've given you and earn a good return. But as the story progresses, not all that come before the king have a good ending. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your money. I kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you were a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? There's a servant that was given the same as the others. He took the money and he stashed it away. And again, we're looking at church we're looking at, we are the church. Each and every one of us as an individual is the church. This is talking about the Christian who takes the blessing of God, the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel message and does absolutely nothing with it. This gift that we've been given. And look at the way the servant describes the king. 
It's kind of a, a derogatory. I, you know, I'm a little nervous of you because you're, you're not a very nice man, and I, and, and I was afraid. And, and I don't buy it. Maybe the king was a hard man, but it feels like there's a little arrogance in this servant to say, you know what? The guy, the guy is, is not a nice guy. Why am I going to stick my neck out and try to do something for him? Why am, I going to, why am I going to take the risk? I'm going to live my life kind of comfortable. I'm going to keep it safe. I'm not going out on the edge. I'm going to make sure that all of my stuff is kind of protected. I keep things neat and tidy. And I'll just give him back what he gets, what he gave me. See, for the Christian, there are those who take for granted the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Take for granted the gospel message. Wrap it up and do absolutely nothing with it. Look at the response. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away and give it to the one who has ten. Sir, they said, he's already got ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. These are, these are difficult verses to deal with. These, these kind, of, kind of push back on the peace sign Jesus. And we have to deal with these verses in, in the scripture, but we have to deal with them correctly. Because what many people have wrongly, I believe, translated this to be, is a loss of salvation unless you get to work, which is completely against what the gospel says. It's not by works you have been saved, but by God's grace and, your, and faith in him. And so this has nothing to do with losing salvation. I believe this has everything to do with what Paul would write in his letter to the Corinthians. He said, if anyone's work is burned up, gone, taken away, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as only through fire. There's this sense in this passage that God has given us this Holy Spirit. God has given us the gospel then to go out and invest it out into the world. And if we're not doing that, we are missing out on the abundant life that he has for us in the first place. And we will live just kind of this anemic under the, under the shadow life, and God says, uh-uh, I've got big plans for you. I want you to rule 10 cities, five cities, and we, we settle for chips and a soda. And so this is not about salvation. This is about missing the blessing that he has for each and every one of us. We have been given the same investment to go then and get to work with. And it's not contingent upon ability. It's not about how many years you've been walking with Jesus. It's not about how old you are. We've been given the same. And, we've, and, and, and the word is go make disciples with it. And our reward will exceed our imagination. It goes far beyond what makes sense. We are invited to reign with Christ, to rule with him. Not only in the age to come, but there's something that takes place here in the today. 
You've met those people that just walk with this spiritual authority. And you say, what is it? They've made an investment. They've taken what God has given them and turned it loose for the good of the king, for the good of the kingdom. And so as as the church, we have to look at this as individuals. And we have to look at it as a community and ask the hard questions. We know what we're called to do. We know what God has called us to do. We know who God has called us to be. Are we investing in the gospel? Are we investing what God has done for us and in us for the good of the king and the kingdom? This has nothing to do with, with your gifting. This has everything to do with faithfulness. Are you living the way God has called us to live individually and as a community. A big one in our culture is, is our finances. Are we investing in the gospel? As a church, we tithe. 10% of what comes into this church goes out to support three missions. We invest in the gospel in Africa through Hope Homes. We invest in the gospel in Honduras through Children's Rescue Mission. And we invest in the gospel right here in Cheshire, Connecticut through Hope Pregnancy. It doesn't matter how much or how little comes in. It doesn't matter if our bills are outweighing our income. We will always give 10% because we believe tithing is an important principle for the believer and it's an important principle for the church. And so when the believer tithes to the church, the church can be even more effective in investing in the gospel to spread the gospel. When we presented our vision for the children's ministry and God has given us lots of children and we had to move our offices out and we had to redo that room in there. There was a family here that decided to invest in the gospel And they gave us the entire $3,000 to do all the work. Here it is. They made an investment in the gospel. Mike Rowe, Warren Eccles, um, Ted Garish invested in the gospel because those are the guys that did the work. They were here until 9, 10 o'clock at night investing in the gospel. When you serve this church, whether it's in the nursery, in children's church, in the cafe, those who stayed last week to clean You're investing in the gospel. Every time you have a conversation with someone about Jesus, when you pray for someone outside of these walls, in in, in the situations God puts you in, in your homes, at your jobs, you're investing in the gospel. But how much more can we do? How much more could we give? Are we willing to unwrap what God has given us And go for it. Here's the end of this parable. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. It's a horrible way to end a story. There's no happy ending here. The guy doesn't get the girl. The puppy doesn't live. 
But this is the reality for all who will reject the message of Jesus Christ. As hard as that seems, I know a lot of great people who reject Jesus. And this is their destiny. Look at how John the Apostle writes it in Revelation. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, which was with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This is a a terrifying passage at the end of the scripture. It's scary, but it's the truth of the matter. Jesus has come into this world, and because of his coming into this world, each and every person needs to make a decision. And it's one of two things. You either accept the grace of God by accepting Jesus, or you reject the grace of God by rejecting Jesus. It's a life and death decision. And the church, we have been commanded to go and bring the truth of Christ to the world. This is our job. When we fail in our job, people will die and spend eternity in hell. We are called to spread the gospel of grace to teach the gospel of grace, to make disciples of the gospel of grace. We are called to baptize in the name of this Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you, church, will you own the vision? Because owning the vision means that you will work to see the vision come to fruition, that you will work for the good of the king for the good of the kingdom, that you will take what you have been given, the power of the Holy Spirit and the good news of the gospel, and we will stop being self-centered, inward-focused, and we're just going to do it. That's the vision that God has given the church. That's what we're called to. To invest what we've been given requires action on our part. It's not talking about salvation through works. I'm talking about works because we have been saved. Father, I pray against the spirit of indifference in your church. I pray that you would give us a passion and a fire to see the gospel go out everywhere, to every nation, to every tribe, to every tongue. Thank you that you've given us this opportunity just to be a little part of that. Now, build us up so that we can go out. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Wednesday evening, I'd like to remind you all that we are going to have our community prayer here, 7 to, seven to 8. Uh, if you'd like to join us. No, not if you'd like to. Join us and come pray for your church. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.